Today's sermon is once God's, always God's. Once God's, always your God's. Belonging to God. Uh, last week's sermon on the, the final portion of Isaiah chapter 40, we really dealt with the preservation and the perseverance of the saints. saints one of the key doctrines of grace that we preach and uphold and rejoice in in this church. And we really continue with that message now. In fact, you can kind of almost refer to most of the tulip with this scripture that we're turning to today ultimately in Isaiah chapter 41. We are continuing with our message series from the book of the prophet Isaiah, but we're not going to begin with Isaiah today. Uh, Isaiah will be the core of the sermon today for our sermon, Once God's, Always God's, First and Last Savior. We're going to begin with some passages from the New Testament, from uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. And then we'll also turn to the Gospel of John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 25 through 30. So I invite you to follow along with your Bible, uh, whether that's a printed Bible or a digital format that you use, and we'll also have the scriptures projected on the screen, I believe, on the screens here within the sanctuary and perhaps on the, uh, the video broadcast as well. So we're looking to God's word in the New Testament. And these verses that we're going to be reading relate to our core passage from Isaiah chapter 41 today. And in fact, they echo what God says in Isaiah over in the New Testament. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Again, in Greek, Alpha is the opening letter. Omega is the closing letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. And then from near the close of the book of the Revelation, this is, these are words from Jesus to the Apostle John, 21 verse 6, and he said to me, it is done, finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, free, totally free. And then to John's gospel, John's recording of the gospel over to chapter 10. This is the great discourse that Jesus gives in Jerusalem during the period of the Feast of the Dedication. This would be, in other words, a few months before Jesus returns for the Passover uh, to ultimately be crucified and to rise again on the third day. So this is prior to that in this season uh, leading up to, in the Feast of the Dedication, what you would know as Hanukkah, okay, in the wintertime. Uh, and Jesus gives the Good Shepherd Discourse. In the midst of that discourse, Jesus is in a dispute with the religious leaders, many of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And we pick up that with uh, this dispute is going on, and then we're going to hear a great affirmation from Jesus here. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Why? Because, Jesus says, 
you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In other words, they obey me. They do what I tell them to do. They come with me. They follow me. And then he says this, verse 28, I give them eternal life. This is salvation here. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And listen to this, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Once God's, always God's, first and last Savior. Um... The small city, uh, many of the, the most well-off people were, of course, well-known in a place like Starkville. That would be the case, too. Some of the more notorious sinners in the town were well-known. And uh, you did have a confluence of, of those categories with one gentleman, the good luck Charlie of the small city. He was well-known, um, married, but uh, committed all kinds of sin, made all kinds of money and spent it on himself. And... But one, one time he was apparently in trouble with his wife and not ready to move forward with the costliness of a divorce. So he was coerced into coming to church and he heard the sermon of the preacher at this church that his wife attended. And somehow God began to convict the good time Charlie. Uh, and he came forward after the service and said to the preacher, he said, preacher, I heard all your talk about judgment and repentance, and I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I'm feeling like I need to respond here. Uh, what would be the best I can do? And the preacher said, well, the best you can do, good luck, Charlie, good time, Charlie, is uh, first of all, you need to stop indulging yourself and spending all that money you make on yourself, all your toys, all your guns, all your boats, all your trucks, all your properties here and there. You need to redirect how you understand everything that God gives you. You need to cut off right now, this very day, this very week, all your adulterous affairs with all those women that you're cheating on your wife with. You need to turn to God, and instead of going to all those parties and partying all the time, you need to start praying to God and reading your Bible every day. Now, that would be the best you can do right now. The man thought about it for a minute, and he said, I'm not sure I deserve the best. What would be the second best? That's the way a lot of people respond to the word of God and to the call of God. But let me tell you this, there is no second best with God. There's, as Daimler says, as, <laughs> there's either the best or there's nothing at all. There's either God himself as your Lord, or there's nothing at all. With God, there is no second best. If you're with God, you, you don't get the leftovers. You get the whole feast, okay? 
There is no halfway chosen. Well, God may have chosen me, but maybe he didn't, and maybe he's changing his mind. God, does, God is not fickle. God, God, does not, God does not change his choice. There is no maybe saved. Are you saved? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, who, who's going to know about it? There is no maybe saved. There is no partially God's and partially not God's. You're either God's. You either belong to him totally or you don't at all. And by the way, in the New Testament, we are commanded. If you're a Christian, you are commanded and directed to confirm your calling and your election. Now, let me be clear before I read this passage of Scripture. This does not mean you prove, you know, unto yourself independently your call and your election unto salvation. But you are called and commanded by Scripture, Christian, to be confirming God's call of you and God's election of you. Now, you've got to get both those together because remember, Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. Okay? Not only the calling, but also the election unto salvation. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. I have this cited, I believe, in your sermon notes. You can follow along with sermon notes. It may help you today. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You're, you're never going to fall away, right? To confirm your calling and election. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Anybody want to go to heaven? Okay. If you want to go to heaven... You are called to live a life that is confirming of God's call and election of you and to be working that out in the fruit of your life. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. But be clear on this. Let me be clear on this again. We, you, are not the foundation of your salvation. <laughs> You're neither the foundation nor the source of your salvation. God is. God is. And specifically, Jesus Christ is our first and last Savior. He doesn't just start it and then we finish it, or we don't start it and then he finishes. He is the Alpha and the Omega of your salvation and the gateway to eternity because he is the gate, as he says also in John's Gospel. So it's not by our works, not by your works. Not by your thoughts, not by your words, by your feelings. Let me be very clear on this because we live in an age in which we think our feelings create reality. Okay? <laughs> and they do kind of create a false reality that's a highway to hell, basically. But let me be clear on this. Don't look to your feelings. How am I feeling today? I feel saved or not saved. Look to God and he will transform your feelings by his Holy Spirit. So... Here's what you want to look for on assurance of faith, assurance of faith. God's word, God's word, God's sure promises, God's very character, who God is, and the perfect work and fulfillment of God's word and his promises through Jesus Christ. Jesus' perfect fulfillment of God's word and his covenant promises. So like I often 
tell you or tell folks that we talk with and remind myself, keep track of yourself. Okay, it's important to keep track of yourself, confirming your calling and election. Where am I? Maybe I'm in the wrong place. I better get out of there. Keep track of yourself, but keep your gaze fixed on the pioneer, the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Be aware of what's going on with you, but keep your eyes and your hopes and your direction fixed on Jesus and where he's leading you, okay? So, Hebrews 12, 2. Now, that then brings us uh, to look at, and you, again, I encourage you to follow along in the notes. If you're online, you can uh, access these. We'll post these as we turn to God's word from this incredible passage of scripture to which we turn today from Isaiah chapter 41. Now we opened with the call to worship uh, with verses one through four, and I'm gonna pick back up at verse four of Isaiah 41. As we look to point one of the central sermon today, the Lord is the first and the last. He is the creator the ruler and the savior, first and last. He's the first and last. From beginning to end, he's the creator. From beginning to end, he is the ruler. And from beginning to end, he is your savior. God summons the ends of the earth and rules everything and everyone. So Isaiah chapter 41, verses one through seven, but we'll pick up at verse four. God has called the coastlands into judgment and dialogue with himself. Let me just tell you, in Isaiah and throughout much of the rest of the prophets, coastlands is term of art for the ends of the earth, okay? In other words, we're talking about pagan people that are quite a bit off, far off from Israel. The coastlands, I mean, all the way, in other words, uh, all the way through the Mediterranean and beyond, etc. So God has called the coastlands and the peoples, and interestingly enough, he's called them to strengthen themselves, to come to him. This echoes the same words that he used at the end of 40, chapter 40, verse 31, to his own people, where he says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now he's called these pagan people from the coastlands to renew their strength and come to him and be called into judgment, but to be offered salvation. We're really getting this gospel light thing shining through here that God is going to bring salvation through judgment, not only to the Jews, but also to all the pagans or Gentiles who will turn to him in the midst of his judgment that leads to salvation. Okay, that's what's going on here. So verse four. He's asking about, like, who has raised up new leaders that intimidate you? And the answer is, God says, I have. I'm in charge of the whole thing, all the world history. So, verse 4, who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first, and you could translate that simply, the last, the width is basically understood there. I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. There's an I am statement from God. You want to know who God is? He's the first and the last. That's what Jesus keeps claiming also, all the way through Revelation. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth, there's the double underline, what we're talking about. I mean, in other words, the entire earth. Ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman 
strengthens the goldsmith, and he smooths with the hammer him who strikes the anvil. He sues. It's a saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. So what's going on here? Well, for one thing, God is saying the pagan response is to try to rebuild your idol after it gets knocked down. And God says, that's not really the good response. That's what's, that's what's going on in, in verse 7 there. God says, do you not understand? I rule the whole thing. And I'm inviting you to understand I'm the beginning and I'm the end and beyond the end. I'm eternity. Okay, it, it belongs to me. So God is saying, I am the first and the last. I am he. And as we've said, we see this echoed all the way through the Bible into the New Testament to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, God repeatedly says, and Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end. So here's the thing. Your past, who ruled it? Even the bad things you did in the past? Who was actually sovereign over everything? Doesn't mean he orchestrated your sin, okay? But, but who was in charge over and above that? God. Who rules your present? As bad as things seem to be deteriorating in the United States and the world right now, who's actually in charge ultimately? God. But what about the future? I'm worried about, I'm worried about the future too if I delve into my flesh. But who actually owns the future? God. What about what happens beyond the grave? God. I'm the first and the last. I am he. It's all under my sovereignty, God is saying here. One of the great passages in all the Bible that echoes through the rest of the Bible. I told you these, these chapters are the bridge all the way into and through the New Testament. Yeah, here it is again. So here's the thing that a lot of people want to ask. You know, you'll get this in Bible study discussions or in small groups. Do you believe in once saved, always saved? And here's what I'd say. You know what? I'm a biblical reformed Christian. I put it this way. Once God's, always God's. I'm not even going to begin and end by focusing on me. Once I'm God's, I'm always going to be God's. Nobody, not even me, not even the devil, can mess with that. So, so that's what God is saying here. And, and God is inviting us to believe in his grace and in his sovereign power and purposes here in Isaiah chapter 41. Verses 8 and 9, incredible verses. Um, let's turn to those now. But you, Israel, my servant... Jacob, whom I have chosen. There's a doubling going on there. Jacob and Israel, same thing, okay? So, by the way, if you're chosen, you're also God's servant. Do you see that in the doubling there? God doesn't just randomly choose people. He chooses you to serve him. Being a servant of the Lord is a big and good word in the Bible. We don't think like that. We'll continue to hit on that. We've already introduced that in the book of Isaiah. It becomes even more prevalent now. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. 
literally in the Hebrew, it's like my beloved, okay? My friend whom I love, Abraham. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from his farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. The doctrines of grace, the gospel of the Lord infuse and undergird those two verses we just read. You already have the gospel right there in effect. So, and this is amazing because God is saying to these people a few hundred years before Jesus comes, and, and, and well over a thousand years after God's call and covenant with Abraham, I still love Abraham. And I made a covenant with him that I will preserve and bring forth my kingdom through his seed. I remember Abraham. So no matter how messed up you are, Somehow, through his seed, through at least a remnant of his seed, I'm going to bring forth the kingdom. That's what God just said. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? This is the reintroduction of the Abrahamic covenant that we get right here at the key point in the book of Isaiah. You are supposed to pay attention to that. And you're supposed to remember, if you know your Bible, that if you go back to, um, Isaiah, uh, to Genesis chapter 15... Genesis chapter 15, you know that chapter. If you know your Old Testament, you know that links to the gospel because you know in verse six, we get justification by faith all the way back to Abraham. You remember this, right? And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. The Lord credits a righteousness that comes from God to Abram when Abram believes the promises in the face of what seems to be hopeless. That's Genesis chapter 15. 15 verse 6. But what happens back in verse 1? After these things, after the deal with, you know, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, etc. Time is going on. Abraham and Sarah don't have a son. Abraham is discouraged and fearful. And what happens? Genesis 15 verse 1, right? We get a bunch of first. The first prophetic note, prophetic calling in the Bible occurs now because after these things, the word of the Lord, the Bar Yahweh, comes to Abram. That's the language that you get for a prophet. So Abraham's a prophet. And Abraham has a vision. So we got the first prophet here we're dealing with. And Abraham has a vision. And here's the first time we get these words in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Al-Tirah. Fear not. Because I'm your shield, God says, and your very great reward. Now, we're supposed to remember that fear not because we're going to get it a bunch of times here after God has reaffirmed that at least the remnant of the people of the Jews and any Gentiles who will come to faith belong to Abraham. And what God keeps saying to you, if you belong to him, and what Dean just shared with our children is, Fear not, you don't have to be afraid, because I'm with you. Psalm 118, quoted over in Hebrews 13, 6, and this all connects. Fear not, 
you belong to me. And once you're mine, you're always mine. And I will deliver those who truly belong to me. That's the message here. That's the message. And you know what? It is, as I say in the notes, and let me say it to you directly right now, that call and that belonging to him are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Am I making this up? No. It's all through the Bible, including through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, when Paul is struggling with and dealing with, well, what about the Jews and all the Jews who don't believe, right? Here's what he says, Romans 11, verses 28 and 29. As regards the gospel, they, Jews who don't believe, okay, they are enemies for your sake. So catch that, they're enemies because, and because they are opposing the gospel, the gospel is spread to the coastlands, <laughs> to the Gentiles, just like God was prophesying through Isaiah, okay? But listen to this, but as regards election, they are beloved. Same word over in the New Testament we're dealing with with Abraham in Isaiah 41, you catching it? They are beloved for the sake of the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. For the sake of Abraham, they're beloved. Didn't I hear that back in Isaiah 41? Yeah, you did, absolutely. And then he says this, listen to God's word from Romans 11, verse 29. For the gifts, the gifts, and the Greek there, charismata, is the same thing we talk about like spiritual gifts, okay? And it is grace gifts, okay? The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts to God's people, the seed of Abraham, and the calling are irrevocable. What about us as Christians? Well, let me give you a little more from the Apostle Paul, because this is awesome. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us, God chose us in Jesus when? When we finally, like, sang a song well when we were 16 or raised our hand when I was 18? When did God choose us? He chose us in him, in other words, in Jesus, before the foundations of the world. Wait a minute, before the foundations of the world would like be before all time. Yes. And God says, fear not. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Do you understand who your Savior is? Do you understand who I am? Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided that we suffer with him. Because if you're really elect, you're going to walk with the Lord, right? You're confirming your election. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then let's go to three. Fear not, I am with you. We've transitioned into this. Let's go ahead and read this, this sequence of repeated verses about fear not. Because now we've got it not only in Isaiah, not only has God extended it to King Ahaz, who refused it in chapter 7 of Isaiah. Not only do we have it coming to the people in general in Isaiah chapter 10, fear not. Even though the Assyrians are ascendant, fear not. They're only for a time. Even though we've had it in Isaiah chapter 37 to Hezekiah, who does respond faithfully to the fear not, now we get it to you and me and to all God's remnant people, okay? Fear not. 
Fear not, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. Is that fear not? It is I, I'm the one telling you fear not. I am the one who helps you, just like I helped Abraham. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. You're kind of pitiful right now. You're totally defeated. But listen. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. There it is. Of the 31 times you get Holy One of Israel in the Old Testament, 27 come from Isaiah. And we're back into reminding who, who this God is, the Holy One of Israel. He's transcendent, but he also condescends to have a covenant relationship and bring his saving holiness to us. Isn't this awesome? The Holy One of Israel. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. In other words, the empires are going to fall under you. They don't last. My kingdom will last. And I'm going to level them with you. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Uh, verse 16, you shall winnow them and the wind shall carry them away and the, temper, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel, in him you shall glory. When the poor and the needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. Verse 20, hand, hand. You're supposed to get this, the inclusio here. Verse 10, hand of the Lord is going to save us. Verse, 10, uh, verse 20, now again, the hand of the Lord that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. It doesn't come from you or from me when God does miracles. It's all from him. When the kingdom prevails, when the church is faithful, it's all by his hand. And when you are saved, he gets all the glory. The Holy One of Israel. The hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. So you can see in the notes this reference again to he's going to strengthen, help, and uphold you. Three things. In my righteous right hand. Who is the righteous right hand of the Lord? Who's righteous? Who's the Lord's righteous right hand? God made him for your sake. Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Who is the righteous right hand of the Lord who holds you no matter what? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. No one 
can take my sheep out of my hand. That's the righteous right hand. And when he claims you, no one can get in between him and you. Once God's, always God's. But hear this too. If he takes you in his righteous right hand, he takes you by the right hand and he leads you and he leads you to serve. He doesn't save you for a flippancy. He saves you for service. And guess what he wants to use you for? Changing the world. The arrogant, the mountains are gonna be brought low and the poor and the needy will be provided for by your hand as he in his righteous right hand leads your hand. That's what Isaiah 41 is talking about here with all this hand language going on and on and all the way through. The glory and the praise is all to him. Just like in our salvation, it's all from him. So also the ministry and the kingdom are all about his glory. Fear not, he holds you. Fear not, he claims you. Now live like it. Live to his glory. And the world will be changed because God, the Holy One of Israel, rules over all. Fear not. Follow him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.